Welcome to Bitverse Byte, a weekly podcast about the web industry, tools and techniques upcoming and in use today. My name is Adam Listek, a web developer from Northern California and Central Illinois. If you'd like to help support this show, please tap the link in the episode's description if you're using the Anchor application, or visit anchor.fm slash bit-v-byte to become a monthly supporter. So first up, getting into some news. No real surprise here, but the European Union finds Google $1.69 billion for bundling search and advertising. And this is really because they got slapped with this huge fine in their advertising division for practices that were done between 2006 and 2009. Basically what they did was they put their own services and products in custom searches and other areas. So it was very um, a monopoly type approach to getting more visibility for their own services. And needless to say, they got slapped down for that one. It's a little surprising that it, it is for such an older occurrence, but it's come back around and the EU has definitely shown that they have no uh, hesitancy in looking at things that have happened and finding them for you know what's gone on. A tool that I use quite a bit, Prometheus, uh, had a new version release, 2.8.0. And what Prometheus is, if you don't know, it is a time series database used to collect like running statistics on a system. Like you can see what the CPU usage over time was, for example. But what the latest release has done is it's upgraded its internal UI to Bootstrap 4. I personally use Grafana over it, and I recommend that. Uh, but it's also done a uh, added a write ahead log for remote write for its remote write API. And basically, what a write ahead log means is that it will put the raw data down to disk before it consumes it. That way, if for some reason the Prometheus service crashes, it will at least uh, be able to recover and won't lose that data. And also a couple query performance improvements. Google Duo on the web has launched. And it's become one of Google's most popular apps. And it's now available uh, to make calls on the web. Uh, pretty useful. I've used Google Duo over uh, the years, and it's a pretty solid way to uh, make video calls. I definitely prefer it over other alternatives. And now the fact that you can do it through your web browser, even better. Uh, something interesting that got released, um, at least it's a first iteration by uh, Google, something called KV Storage, and they're calling it the web's first built-in module. And so what it is is that Chrome is experimenting with this concept of built-in modules, and these are just JavaScript modules, but they ship with the browser. And what this particular module is solving is that there is a problem with the uh, local storage if you want to store data within the browser uh, to do some operations for your application. It's very slow. There is an alternative to use IndexedDB, but it's hard to work with. And so they've created this module as a in-between to do a key value store. Uh, and it can even be polyfilled. So a pretty neat idea. They're just exploring this, and we'll see where it goes. But kind of cool. And finally, uh, Firefox 66 was released. And the notable things about it are that it prevents websites from autoplaying sound, which, yay, I think everyone's agreement that that's a good thing. 
extension settings are now in the in a database instead of just kind of individual files, uh, which is a great idea because really what it means that every time you load a website and it has to evaluate the extensions that are there and loading with it, it makes it that much faster. Uh, they've added some smoother scrolling and they've improved the number of processes that Firefox will use from four to eight, which means you can have more things happening at once without it slowing down or crashing. So pretty cool. Moving on to some links and resources. A few of them here, um, Icon SVG. It's a very cool tool to create customizable SVG icons right in your browser that you can then either take the SVG code and do like an inline uh, code for there, which is even it's very quick, and I recommend that generally. Or you can download the uh, file and include it like you would any other image. Uh, but very cool. Uh, pretty neat to be able to kind of customize uh, stroke width and colors and that kind of thing. So check it out. Uh, next is a service called polyfill.io. And it is an amazing tool to create these polyfill bundles. And you can get all the newest features. And, and what this means, if you don't know what a polyfill is, basically it's a way to create or emulate uh, the newer technologies in an older browser, uh, older technology set. And so people over time have created many different polyfills to do different technologies uh, that make it easier for us to use the newer stuff in older browsers. And what this service does is basically allow you to pick and choose what you want and um, create an automatic bundle from that that you can either choose to download or include. But it's an amazing service. It saves a ton of time. I wish I had figured this one out earlier. I don't know how I missed this, but uh, very cool. And it saves a bunch of time from having to manually put all these together. So I'm definitely going to be doing that from now on. Uh, and the nice thing is since it bundles it all together, you can uh, lower the amount of data that you're downloading and just include what you need. And finally, uh, CS, well, I'm not sure how best to pronounce this, but CS Sans Pro. And what it is, it's actually a very kind of clever, uh, interesting font. And it's not really a font, it's a CSS library that um, allows you to create uh, very colorful text. Uh, but it's pretty cool and very unique take on it. And I include it because I thought that it could definitely be used in a number of uh, kind of more artsy or just standout type text in uh, situations like that. So kind of cool. Uh, check it out. So finally, I want to talk about uh, things that have been in the news kind of recently over the past year or so. Um, kind of this concept of with the increasing you know, advancements in technology, you are starting to get these very realistic either avatars or even what's been uh, talked about before, these kind of deep fakes. And really, it's just the natural evolution of being able to manipulate video uh, movement, audio to create these types of characters or avatars that do what you want, sound like virtually anyone you want, and really become creepily realistic. So, how? What is this? So, the the first, or I guess the second part of what I was kind of mentioning before is these deep fakes, and and this one is something that has come up often, but essentially it's a way to manipulate the video 
to make a person uh, that they have video of say or do what they want. And so how does this kind of thing you know, affect people? How does it affect news? Uh, well, and that's really what's being explored right now, um, because obviously to affect people, you could put people in situations or saying something or doing something they definitely did not do, but it looks a lot like them. So how do you, how do you have this type of content? And when you have that, how do you determine you know, what, what is, is it fake? And what's the repercussions of that? Because as we found out, you know, most of these types of things don't get easily vetted. You know, you can see this with the viral spread of news and the nature just that people will have this tendency to believe what they see. And then they'll share that, especially if it aligns with what they personally believe and reinforces that idea. So very quickly, you can have something that is not accurate, that is not true, spread very quickly. So how do you kind of combat this kind of thing? Well, I mean, there's a couple companies out there. I believe even DARPA has put out a call for um, technology to kind of combat this. And it's really trying to determine, you know, algorithmically if you can see if something was altered. You know, if things don't match up, if there's inconsistencies in there. But again, this is, this is difficult. And if you don't have, you know, something where you don't do a lot of checking or a lot of investigation into it, which most people won't, on its surface then, this seems like this could very much be problematic, especially when used in small targeted instances. I mean, if you're, if you're thinking of targeting a certain individual, trolling that person, um, trying to harass that person, like this could be a legitimate concern, especially when other people tend to believe the first thing they see. So the hope is that with you know, the co combating it will be that there will be easy tools that you can run these kind of videos through to say, yep, this is pretty much looks, uh, looks pretty fake. And hopefully those will become widely available. Hopefully many of the social media platforms where things get shared or uploaded will just incorporate those naturally and kind of either score or make available to folks viewing it that maybe these aren't all on the level. Because you really don't want to you know, hurt people in that way. And, and most of the folks out there don't, you know, may not see that as a, uh, something that they really need to go, you know, research and see if it's true. So how does this kind of tie into the next thing, which is like these more realistic avatars? And Facebook, for example, has come out with this, um, you know, for their when they purchase Oculus and they've kind of done the VR thing and they're starting to create more realistic avatars, uh, they've done some recent work that makes, you know, the body movement, uh, the tracking and that kind of thing very interesting to watch and very realistic to the person that they were recording. So when you're able to echo those mannerisms very easily and you're combining with that maybe with a technology like Deepfake where if all things put together and equal, you could have these avatars or these representations of people to be very lifelike and very accurate. So what was interesting to me is not only are there plenty of evil applications for that naturally, but what does that actually mean for the general populace when they start to be able to use these tools and 
you know, how does that mean for like in-person interactions, um, remote telepresence? You know, what what kind of things do we either lose or gain when those types of technologies really come up and really start to question, you know, what the norm is? You know, business means where you travel cross-country to a you know on-site thing or meeting. Well, if you had an, the ability to pretty much do a virtual meeting and everyone looked very, you know, lifelike and was able to act, interact very easily, well, maybe a lot of companies would say, yeah, I, I don't really want to spend the expense to do this. For a lot of folks that then don't have to leave the house, for example, I mean, does that mean that they tend to want to just stay in, do virtual interviews, especially if they can present the best uh, picture of themselves? Would companies want that? There's so many things that could be done. I'm, you know, and, and there is a lot of good, like folks that perhaps have, um, you know, disabilities or folks that have um, anxieties, that kind of thing, where it makes it very difficult to do these kind of things and live a life that they might want. This opens up a lot of doors. And in that sense, that's great. But in the other sense, where, you know, perhaps we're starting to lose some of that human interaction in a certain way. There are a lot of good and a lot of bad that come from all of these types of things, and I think that it will, of course, remain to be seen, and hopefully there's a middle ground that gets um, decided upon just naturally over time as these technologies evolve, but it will be interesting to see how it plays out and really what it means for society, especially when you don't necessarily have to leave home or you have to go somewhere to you know, do something that you know, is important that may affect your life. That really is that kind of day-to-day interaction. So it'll be interesting to watch, but I really want to kind of see, is it a destabilizing effect? Is it something that will uproot society? Is it a, just kind of a natural evolution of these types of things and how human interaction might go? But I'd love to hear your opinions. So I'll end there. Uh, I want to say follow this podcast on Twitter at BitBeBite and Facebook at slash BitBeBite. Thank you for listening and please join us next week.